we don't need to be masters of orbital mechanics in order to fly a hopper from earth to the moon or from moon to yeah. mars you, or something. You know, you'll fly a hopper from the earth to the moon uh... well, whatever you know <laughs> i don't know android world all that well you know better than i do uh, in order to fly a spaceship from hello and welcome to excess advantage season two episode eight stealing from other games this episode was a really fun one for me and scott to do as we got to not only discuss ways of bringing in ideas from other games, but we also got to talk a little bit about the good and bad ways of adding mechanics into your Genesis game. Because the one biggest draw of Genesis is that it is a generic game engine, not a full um, game in of itself, so you have to um, modify and build your own stuff. But at the same time, people try to pull in all these different parts of different other games that they think are fun in this game, so they're going to be fun in Genesis. But not everyone understands the inner workings of Genesis and how it works. So hopefully this episode will help everybody to better understand how to pull things in successfully from other games and what pitfalls to avoid. Because the game's been out for several years now, and um, I mean, I know I've been in it since the beginning. Scott's been part of the community for quite a long time as well. And we've seen a lot of people try the wrong way of doing things as well as try the right way of doing things. So hopefully our combined experience will give you a better understanding of how to make your game the best it can be. And so um, without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and start talking about stealing from other games. You are listening to Excess Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the Genesis RPG by Fantasy Flight Games. Excess Advantage is produced fortnightly for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at anchor.fm slash excess hyphen advantage. And now your host, Christopher. Okay, so today is a very special episode of Excess Advantage. Why is that? Well, it's an episode of first, because not only today are is it the first recording that we're doing with our brand new microphone setups, Ooh. also the very first time where there is no special guest host. It's just the normal hosts. Wait, but I'm here. What does that mean? That means that you have accepted my invitation to be my permanent co-host, so you're not just a random voice on the internet. You are officially a member of the podcast. Wow. I feel something. Hopefully it's not lunch-related. It's terror. Okay, that's better, because mine was a really bad throwback to the pilot episode of Stargate Atlantis. I can't help you with those references. I know you can't, but I'm sure somebody listening can. So if you got that reference, good on you. If not, watch Stargate Atlantis pilot episode. You'll get it about, I don't know, 20 minutes in maybe. It's pretty close to the beginning, so you'll be good to go. But uh, today's episode is something that has been requested by at least the the patrons over in the uh, Discord community. And so today we're going to talk all about stealing from other games. Because while we love Genesis, there are also a lot of other games that we love. And we might want to take some things in from other games as well. And so today Scott and I are going to be discussing how best to do that. All right, so stealing from other games. So the first thing that I want to say about stealing from other games is you should be stealing ideas and not mechanics. Right. We have a whole slew of mechanics already. Exactly. I mean, there's already something that's going to be at least close to what you want to do. So don't bring in things from other games. Mechanically speaking, bring the idea and then figure out how to translate that into Genesis mechanics. Because honestly, there's probably something similar enough that you can use, 
that you don't have to port in this entire idea that takes like five pages to explain. There we go. End of show. Well, I think we should get into a little bit more. Oh, detail. let's let's do some examples. Yes, yeah. examples. One thing I do want to uh, touch on right away, though, is this applies to any game in existence, including Star Wars. Even though oh, Star yeah. Wars uses the same basic setup, Genesis is actually a revised version of the Star Wars rules. So things that they have in Star Wars don't necessarily work in Genesis because it's an upgraded rule set. For example, jetpacks. In Star Wars, they are a nightmare. They are a speed one vehicle that has like two system strain. That's too much. Too much complexity for something that just should allow you to fly. And if you look in your Genesis Core rulebook, they actually have uh, a jetpack in the steampunk setting. If you turn to page... Here we go on page 156, the arrow pack. A character wearing an arrow pack can fly. Boom, done. Ooh, that's so easy. Yeah, I mean, it's like almost as if they know what they're doing and they're streamlining it for the better. What? The people that made this game know how to make this game? I know, it's it's crazy, but it's true. Um, so, do you want to start mentioning other things that you should not be porting over? I think the other big thing that people love to try and port over, specifically from games like Dungeons & Dragons, are those got dang squares and hexes but scott i love hexes they're so much fun well yeah they work in within the context of dungeons and dragons and how its system works right but we have range bands we're a little more flexible over here in the genesis land it's almost as if genesis is trying to be more cinematic and less tactical exactly now that is true we're trying to be more cinematic i wouldn't necessarily say less tactical that's fair People will say that the hexes in their squares, they give them their tactical feel. I disagree with that, and you are welcome to disagree with me on that fact, but I believe that Genesis Combat can still be very tactical. It's a little more difficult to set up those encounters, and I think in a later episode we'll, we'll talk about that, but Genesis Combat can still be very tactical, because tactical combat is not about seeing the board, right, and making decisions from that level. Tactical combat is about interesting decisions. It's about how do I achieve this, but I also have possibly some other thing that I could not do in that case, right? Right. And we can get more into detail about that. I could probably talk an hour just about tactical combat in Genesis. <laughs> but I believe that it is possible to do tactical combat. And I have had a, a few um, sessions that I've run where there were some interesting decisions that the players had to make in a combat that brought to life the the tactical ability of genesis and i think the big thing to remember with tactical decisions in genesis is that the decision has to be a trade-off it's do i do this option or that option Correct. and a lot of it already is baked into the game um on page 104 with spending advantage triumph threat and despair in combat because the most basic use of threat and despair besides uh, healing and causing strain, is adding boost and setback dice. If you just say, yeah, I'm going to spend one advantage to add a blue die to the next character's check, that's boring and dull. But if you describe why you're adding that boost die, well, it's because I did a feint on this guy and it opens him up to an opportunity attack by the next person to attack them. Okay, that's a tactical thing that happened and I don't need to take a five foot step in order to do it. You just need to describe the tactics being used and then use the mechanics to back that up. Beautifully said. 
And I think that really encapsulates a lot of things is use those symbols to scribe the decisions made. Don't just spend them. Be like, oh, I'm upgrading the check. Oh, I'm getting a free maneuver. Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm doing that. Describe what that looks like and um, how that affects the scene in progress. And those are your tactical decisions. And then um, another thing people like to bring in is pretty much anything from D&D, whether it's um, fancy and casting or it's super specific spells, which we discussed a little bit in the last episode or two episodes prior dealing with magic. Whole episode on magic, which... The whole point behind the Vancean system is not that, oh, I have this many spells of this type prepared. It's that bigger spells are harder to cast, and you can only do so many of those before you're too exhausted to continue. Which, oh, if you think about it... I think that wait, Genesis does exactly that. Yeah. Holy crap. It's almost like if you just take the flavor text instead of the mechanical text, you can draw a near one-to-one -one comparison. Near. Near. There's always going to be a little bit of variance because with enough potions and resting, you can probably cast the equivalent of like three six-level spells in a day when in D&D &D you couldn't. But the basic idea is you're going to take a lot of strain or you're just going to fail a lot and you're not going to actually cast that spell except for that one time. So it's just, again, use the flavor text, port over the idea, and then figure out how Genesis does it with mechanics. Um, I think one of the uh, examples they give in a book don't remember where it is off the top of my head, but they're talking about when adding an item that does, say, poison damage, use the existing mechanics, you know, do strain or have them uh, make a resilience check to avoid taking additional wounds or something. Don't create a separate poison track, things like that. So whatever you're trying to do, like I said earlier, there's probably going to be an existing mechanic that does something similar. Find that mechanic and then tweak it to your needs. Let's see, recently there was also someone talking about uh, using an escalation die mechanic, right? All right, so the escalation die is a mechanic from 13th Age, which is a D&D &D knockoff. You know, it's a, a D20 game written by a lot of people who did um, a bunch of settings and me mechanics in other books for 3-5 that basically says at the beginning of every combat, you put a D6 in the middle of um, of the table, make it as big as you can, and then at the end of the first round, you put it at one. And so all PCs and important NPCs add that number to all of their D20 die rolls. So the idea is as the combat continues each round, they're adding more and more bonuses, or rather they're adding a higher bonus to their rolls because round two, it's at one, round three, it's at two. So if it gets to round seven, you're at plus six to all your rolls, which is almost a guaranteed success. And the reason why the escalation die is there is because D20 games have a linear distribution for their main resolution. You have exactly the same chance of rolling a one as you do a 20, as you do an eight, as a 12. And so they need something in there to guarantee higher numbers so you're not failing as often but that kind of thing isn't needed in genesis because it's a dice pool game so as long as you're not trying to you know do a four difficulty die check with only one green die or one yellow die you're probably going to succeed more often than not because that's the way the the math of the game is designed that seems that whole thing yeah is, is designed for a different system and it doesn't really fit in this system it's, it's solving a problem that doesn't exist in Genesis. Exactly. 
And that's, I think, a lot of the gimmicky things that people try to port into Genesis are based off of fixes for mechanics that don't exist in Genesis. Right. So I think that brings us to the next part about this is ask yourself what you actually like about Genesis. Why are you playing Genesis? I'm assuming it's because you really like the system, right? Right. You really like the way that the dice tell a story or help you tell a story. That's the hope anyway. This, this multi-axis thing, right? Trust in that this game has been played for years now. This game has been played for a long time. You know, starting in Star Wars, we, we understand how this dice system works. And it's been streamlined into Genesis. So the system works, and we know it works. And we have a lot of things that were put into Genesis coming from Star Wars to handle all of the different situations that we can possibly, hopefully, come up with in a variety of settings. So if we know the system works and we like how the system works, why are you trying to change it? I don't really answer that question for you, but you've got to ask yourself that question. Is this dramatic change to the rules necessary? Or is it just something you're used to doing from this other game? you got to really ask yourself of that, sit with that, be honest. And if the game is better, if you honestly feel the game is better with this other more complicated mechanic, Try it out. Have your players use it. Ask them to be honest with your feedback. Did it make the game more fun? Try playing it the other way without that mechanic. Find the mechanic in Genesis that does the, the thing that's close to it and use that and play test it and really get feedback. Play test it. Don't just slap some stuff down and run away and publish it out there. I'm like, oh, this is definitely the way to do it. No, you got to play test things. And then honestly get feedback from players, other players, maybe even people that aren't your friends to try it out, if you've tried it out yourself, to find out if it actually makes the game more fun. And that's really the key. More fun. Right, because at the end of the day, Genesis is a role-playing game. You're there to tell a story and have fun. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. We're like, okay, the mechanics must blah 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 because it's a game. Right, but fun is more important. Yeah, we're not trying to simulate reality to the best possible degree we can. There are some other games that do that, and they have failed. Our friend uh, Dat Matt, he likes to quote the worlds of Cinnabar. God. Which, if you look up its Wikipedia article, there is the reception area, right? How it's been received by the community. And it says, this is an example of a bad role-playing game. Yeah, because the author tried to master everything in order to make mechanics that accurately represent reality, but... We play games to escape reality, you know? I don't need, like we talked about uh, last episode with um, with Sam talking about uh, Shadow of the Beanstalk, we don't need to be masters of orbital mechanics in order to fly a, in order to fly a spaceship from one planetary body to another, one celestial body to another. You don't need to know how it works, you just need to know that it does work and you roll some dice to get there. Yeah, that's all you need. Or if it's a boring trip, you don't even roll dice. You just say, three days later, you show up there. Congratulations. Yep. And that's honestly something that I have been struggling with in my home game because right now we're playing a fantasy game and I've done like two or maybe three episodes so far pretty much of just traveling from point A to point B and trying different ways to make it enjoyable and fun. But honestly, each time it's kind of fallen flat. So I think that I'm just going to... Unless there's something very specific that needs to happen during the travel, it's just going to be a, 
a screen wipe, and then you travel there. Congratulations. It's been X number of days. Unless you design an encounter for that travel to say, oh, this interesting thing happens on the way and has an effect on the overall story, then I wouldn't even bother doing it. I hate random encounters. I think that they are pointless. And the, the only reason they exist in other games is to gain experience points. Right, because monsters are nothing more than pinatas full of XP. And the more you hit it, the more XP falls out. Yeah, and that's just unnecessary in Genesis. It's just not how this game works. Right. Um, so now that we've talked about what is a good thing to steal and what isn't, so I have a few examples of things that I have stolen from other games and put into use. And you'll find a general theme that runs through all of these is that they don't have any at-the-table mechanical effects, or if they do, they're very minimal. So the first thing that I have done is change up how initiative works. Because personally, I find it a little off-putting where you're all of a sudden jumping into this exciting, tense part of the session. Okay, hold on, let's roll some dice to figure out who gets to roll some dice. And so for me, that seems a little boring because it kind of kills the forward momentum. It kills the tension when you have to come out of the game in order to make an initiative check. And one of my favorite initiative rules comes from uh, Marvel Heroic Roleplaying by Margaret Weiss. Came out like six years ago or something now. But it was the initiative system designed by Lenny Balsera. It's commonly referred to as popcorn initiative. So the first person who speaks up takes their action. And then once they have done their thing, they designate the next person to go. And if you want to, a PC can, you know, say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Okay, who's next? Well, the next PC. And then they do their thing and all the PCs can go right away. But then that means all of the NPCs get to go. And whoever is the last in the initiative order chooses who goes first in the next round. So if all PCs go first, then you could have two full rounds of NPCs doing their thing before the PCs can go again. So there's kind of a little bit of tactics involved with determining and choosing who goes next to make sure that you not only control the prime slot which is the first round but the i guess the more important slot is who goes last because that determines who goes first the next round that is an interesting initiative mechanic and i like it i would caution people from just tossing that into genesis because we have two skills that are used for initiative that people have put character points xp into to develop and those become less valuable if you don't use them Right, that is definitely true. And at least one of them, cool, is also used post-encounter to recover strain, so it's still important. Um, and right. then vigilance, of course, is kind of given the shaft in that situation because most of the time it's used for avoiding ambushes, which is commonly ruling for initiative, is using vigilance to see if you can figure out what's happening before it happens. So in that case, you're right. And also there is a talent which modifies your initiative checks rapid reaction suffer a number of strain to use this talent to add an equal number of successes to your vigilance or cool check to determine initiative number may not exceed ranks in rapid reaction so there is that talent that directly modifies your initiative check and that is also one of those tactical decisions you have to make okay it's time to roll initiative do i want to suffer strain to give us a higher chance of going first or not and with it being a tier one ranked talent it's kind of and they're kind of as a filler talent because you can keep taking more ranks to fill out your um, your pyramid, which helps get you to those uh, tier four and tier fives. So you're right. Anything that modifies the initiative in such a way that eliminates the role is very 
dicey, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah, I think it's a good example of you have this neat idea and it can work well in the game, but it may have effects that you didn't really think about, right, in how the rest of the game works and how everything else is designed. So if you have modified this portion of the game, it could be affecting other portions of the game that you don't really fully realize. And until you play the game a lot, you may not have a good feel for those things. Even just reading through the rules, you may not really have that good idea of how much cool and vigilance are used uh, or that, you know, players may have uh, invested XP or bought talents around initiative. And then you say, oh, we're actually going to do initiative differently than they do in the book. And they're like, well, what? why did I, I now have to remake my character? Because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that goes back to session zero. Make sure your players know that before they make characters. Exactly. And another downside of that is if they're not used to that initiative system, then there's a lot of debating and trying to figure out the quote unquote optimal way to do it, which can drag things out even more than just stopping to roll initiative. Yep. I've used that a couple times, but not extensively because of that very reason because people are like oh well if we do this if we do that and they spend like 10 minutes debating who's going to take the next turn but with that being said the the current initiative rules that i use i actually stole from uh, the new warhammer 40,000 role-playing game called wrath and glory and so the way that initiative works is unless there's a reason otherwise a pc always goes first and then an npc goes and then a pc goes and an npc goes so you're just rotating who goes when but you can spend a glory point to jump the order and have PC go twice, or the GM can spend their version of glory called ruin, which will allow an NPC to go twice. And so I've been using that, where it's just, okay, top of the round, PC takes the first turn. Once they're done, then an NPC goes and a PC goes. So it allows that back and forth with less decision-making, like with the popcorn initiative. And then I kind of modified a little bit that if you want to jump the order and have two PCs go at a time or two NPCs go back-to-back, then you just spend a story point, which, while still eliminates rolling dice and kind of devalues the initiative skills it does get that story point going back and forth and so it kind of helps flow the story points so if the pcs have a lot of story points well then they can just spend them all and go pc 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 but then when they're done the gm has most of the story points and that's interesting as well and it's way easier than the the popcorn and even the the genesis way of doing it but i would again caution someone because that negates those two initiative skills and then the uh, the last initiative option is something I haven't yet tried, but I've heard a lot of good things about Lex Starwalker from Game Master's Journey podcast. He also had experienced the stopping to roll initiative kind of throws things out of whack and pauses the momentum. And so what he does is at the very beginning of every session, he has his players roll initiative. And then that initiative is used for the first time you need initiative, he uses those rolls. And then at the end of that encounter you roll again. So you're still rolling dice for the initiative, but the initiative is being taken care of beforehand. So once the encounter starts, you know exactly who's going when. And as a GM, he would pre-roll initiative for his NPCs. So then instead of taking the time to figure out when, who's going when, it's all right there and you can go right into the action. I like that. When I was at Gamer Nation Con, I saw a lot of GMs had actually pre-rolled the initiative for all of their adversaries. Or just like, you know, specified a number and advantage that they have for the encounters. I think that helps speed things along as well. So very, very similar to this where you start out, roll your initiative, and we'll go from there. I like that. That can actually work really well. It fits in the rules well. I approve. Yeah, and 
even if the GM does this, you know, pre-rolling for all of the NPCs and then slotting in the PCs later, it still makes things quicker at the table. So if you don't want to have anything change for your players, remember, PCs and NPCs play by different rules. You can totally pre-roll and just have an initiative written down, you know, three success, two advantage for this guy, one success, five advantage for that one. And then your players roll and just slot them in where necessary. Exactly. The next thing that I uh, have used quite successfully in games are setting or location rules that you do beforehand, but not during the game. I actually went through Perilous Wilds with my group to create the world. It's a supplement for Dungeon World for collaborative world building with a fantasy bend to it so it's obviously everything is geared toward fantasy as opposed to modern or sci-fi or whatever but it's a it was what we did during session zero to create the world Um, we came up with the map we came up with locations we came up with the movers and shakers we came up with all of this background information and it has no mechanical impact on play during the game but it helps figure out where we were what we were doing where things were going and there are other game systems that have other things similar to it Traveler and Stars Without Number have these sector creators, which are science fiction games that have um, rules for creating star systems. It's like, okay, here is a habitable planet where people live. Here's a habitable planet where people live. And you just go ahead and roll it up and it gives you a brief description of everything of that one specific, what's called the main world. Or the uh, Elite Dangerous role-playing game stumbled across this just kind of on a whim It actually has rules for creating a solar system, how many planets it has, how many moons each planet has, where's the habitable zone, where's all these things. It's enough crunch and factually close enough to work for a game, but not so much that I'm determining the black body temperature of the planet or whatnot. So anything that you have that can help with the world creation before you play is also great to steal because there's no specific mechanics during gameplay. It's just beforehand. I used to play a lot of Elite Dangerous, and I, I picked up the, the RPG when it came out. And that solar system creation mechanic is amazing. My favorite part about that whole book. Most of it's pretty disappointing, but that is one real nice gem out of it. And I think it's just worth the price of it by itself. Yeah, I agree. I also had was dipping my toes into Traveler Mongoose 2nd Edition a bit a while back, and I actually wrote a program that does the sector generation for you, which you can get on my GitHub, uh, github.com slash drainsmith. There will be a link in the show notes. It's pretty fun. I ultimately kind of stepped away from Traveler because I was really, I'm not happy with how it's just 2D and you can generate a whole galaxy just in 2D and that never really sat well with me. The Elite Dangerous system is great and I think you can't really generate a galaxy with it, but you can generate a whole bunch of solar systems. You can link them together however you want in three-dimensional space. Mm-hmm. And another nice thing about uh, Elite Dangerous is they have some supplements for military espionage and trade, I believe. And maybe there's one more. But in each of those, they have a random mission generator. And part of that, like for the uh, the military supplements, that's here is how you can create a military base. And then you can randomly create a small, medium, large, or huge military base. They have something similar in the espionage for here is a office building you know you have to infiltrate the office building to get to the servers and steal the information get back out again and so it's great because the mechanics for it are just there for you to do 
before the game to prepare. So if your players are infiltrating, uh, throw out a, the name of uh, Android Megacorp. Oh, like a, like a Jinteki? Yeah. So there's a Jinteki facility. Okay, well, let me go into the lead dangerous supplement for espionage and it's like four or five pages of how you make this facility and just roll on the tables and boom i've got a facility set up and it tells me you know here's where the um the entrance point is you know it's where you get in and there's the the secretary or the whatever at the main entrance here's uh meeting rooms here's the bathrooms here's the kitchen here's this and that and it just it helps make the setting more evocative because it has all those things that you expect in an office building. Oh, that's really cool. Um, I'll go ahead and leave uh, links for all of that stuff in the show notes as well because there's a bunch of great stuff out there. Uh, definitely, I'm not going to be able to mention everything because there's just so freaking much. But anything that has to do with world building, you can mainly use the uh, mechanics as is because it has no direct effect on the game while you're playing it. It helps you prepare for it, and that's fine, because you don't really need to integrate boost dice and setback dice for prep. At least I don't think so. I think that's the takeaway from that part there. If it's not interacting with any of the rules, oh yeah, just use it. Take it. Just steal the heck out of that. But if it's as soon as you start trying to modify how dice rolls happen, how skills are actually used in the game you know you got to be real careful uh that you're not affecting some other part of the game that you don't understand yet yep and that goes back to pretty much every single piece of advice we ever give anybody who says hey i want to incorporate this mechanic into the genesis what's the first thing we always tell them play the game first play the game first know what you're doing figure out how it works before you try to change it yep Yes, you've played D&D before. Yes, you've played Traveler before. Yes, you've played the West End Star Wars. You've played the Fantasy Flight Star Wars. You've played this game. You've played that game. You've played Traveler. You've played GURPS. You've played whatever. Genesis is different. And like I said at the top of the episode, it's even different enough from Star Wars that you can't just do a one-to-one conversion of anything you want to. And that's, sorry, that's just one of my personal hangups because everyone's like, oh, this is exactly how it worked in in Star Wars. Therefore, it's got to work that exact same way in genesis no it doesn't it can work it has a higher chance of working than other mechanics from other games definitely steal stuff from star wars the ffg star wars you have a good chance of it working well but you still got to take a hard look at it and make sure it's actually going to work and don't just drop it in and start running because you're going to hit some snags that you didn't really think about yep and like you said earlier is play test play test play test and don't shy away from hopping on the Facebook group or the Discord server or subreddit or the official forums and be like, hey, I made this thing, critique it for me. You know, this is what I've done. This is why I've done what I've done. But if you do that, know that people are, there are people like Scott and I who will be honest and be like, that's great, but have you thought about this? Or we think it's horrible pile of crap because of A, B, and C. So yes, seek critique from other people, but Note that when you do, people are going to critique it and be as honest as they can about it. We do it out of love. Right. Totally. You are totally allowed to have whatever kind of fun that you want to have. But we're hoping that our experience, that these scars that we've accumulated over the years, will help you have more fun. An easier kind of fun. Have less prep time. Less work to actually write your game. 
and hopefully have less heartbreak and headache. That's because right. uh, I'm, I know we've probably mentioned this several times, but the number of people who come into the Discord server being like, hey, I am creating the next best thing since sliced bread, five foot squares in Genesis instead of range bands. It's going to be great. Oh, those poor, poor souls. Yeah. So many people have come trying to do five foot squares. They've all failed. All of them. And you are not going to be any different. And when I say you, I mean, listener, not you, Scott. But even you, Scott, trying to shove D&D mechanics into Genesis is just not going to work, period. Yeah. In fact, I, I probably had a really good go of it with my Lost Minds of Fandelver conversion. And I've, that was one of the first things I converted. I didn't try to add as much mechanics as I could, but I tried to convert things as, as closely as possible. And uh, it turns out not it didn't really work that well. And I'm rewriting, or have, I have rewritten a lot of it, and I'm going to be doing a full rewrite soon. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that because I... Uh... I critiqued the heck out of that. Oh my goodness. I kind of felt yeah, bad. Yeah, and it was, it was, no, it was super helpful. And I, I love that kind of criticism. Some people have a hard time with it. It's, it's ultimately helpful for understanding of the system. When we critique, it's with love, I promise. And the last thing that I want to say is that we do it out of love. We try to help you make it better. But at the end of the day, your table, your rules. As my friends at the RPG Academy say, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Just because Scott and I say, oh, you should try this, or someone else says, oh, you should try that, at the end of the day, as long as you and your players like it, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Just know that if people are giving you criticism and you don't change it, and then you try to publish it with something else and be like, hey, here's my fan thing, know that it's not going to get a good reception because you didn't listen to feedback. So, you know, it's kind of a delicate balancing act. Well, there we go. I think we covered it. Awesome. Anything else you want to say before we uh, say goodbye? So regardless of success or failure of your role, always check for excess advantage. There you go. All right. Have a good night, everybody. You've been listening to Excess Advantage. If you'd like to leave comments on today's show, you can download the Anchor app on your smartphone, navigate to Excess Advantage, and click on Message to leave a voice message. You can find the host on Twitter at C double underscore Beck. If you like what you hear and want to spread the word, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe. It'll help others find us. If you want to join the growing Discord community, you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.